welcome everyone. Um, it's great to have you here with us, uh, particularly as Gavin said at the start, if this is your first time here or maybe you've not been coming for very long, particularly warm welcome to you. We know that walking into a big, imposing building like this, into a room full of people that you don't know, can be a daunting, uncomfortable experience. So we're really glad that you made it. We hope that you feel very much at home this morning. Um, we want the church here to feel like a family and uh, we want you to feel very much like our guest today. Uh, if you have any questions about anything that we do or say, I'm sure there'll be a few bits that will probably be a bit, a bit weird, uh, then feel free to ask us. We'd love to help if we can. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a passage from the Bible together. See if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Matthew, which is at the beginning of your New Testament. Don't worry. If you don't have a Bible, the words will appear as if on magic on the screen next to me. Uh, we're going to read a few verses from there in a moment or two. What we're doing at the moment over the next few weeks and last week as well is that we're taking a bit of time as the church to look at some things that are really important to us, some, I guess some values, you could call it, and some vision about who we are as a people, uh, what we're about. Uh, what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months is rolling out a more uh, formal uh, membership structure to our church and appoint some men to be elders in the church as well to help lead and to, to guide us. Uh, so what we wanted to do is teach through a little bit about who we are. So all of you would be able to make a decision. Is, is this the sort of family that I want to be part of? What do you guys believe? What are you passionate about? So hopefully the next few weeks will help you to understand some of that. Um, and what we're going to do today is last week we were talking about the issue of prayer. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a little bit about our, our mission, what it is God's called us to, particularly in relation to the city around us, this place, Amsterdam, that God's put us in. What's God called us as a church to do in this city and how do we go about that? And then next week we'll talk about what it means to have liberty in Jesus. What do we believe about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? How does that affect us as a church? We'll talk about uh, in a few weeks' time about liberty and the Holy Spirit. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be a church that's full of the Holy Spirit? How does that affect how we do life together? We'll spend a week talking about what it is to be a family together. What does the church, what does the Bible say about the church? And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about what we believe about the Bible and how that affects our mission in this city. So let me read a few verses from Matthew 5. I'll pray and then we'll get into this together. This is from verse 13 of Matthew 5. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says to them, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, we thank you for who you are today. We thank you that ultimately we know that you are the light of the world and your light has 
shone into the darkness of our lives. You've sent your spirit to live within us, to illuminate our life day to day. We thank you, Jesus, that in you all the darkness has been pushed away and in you we can now know your forgiveness, your love, the light of your joy, of your peace, of your mercy, your kindness to us again and again. And we want that light to shine out to the city around us. We want to be a light to this place, bringing your hope, bringing your love to this city. We pray as we look at these, this passage today that you'd speak to us and encourage us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amsterdam is a small place that casts a big shadow. That's what a writer called Charles Mann said about Amsterdam. Another writer, James Gleck, said that Amsterdam is a great city that has shaped the soul of the world. And it has. We live in a city that's incredibly influential, not just here in the Netherlands, but much further beyond as well. We live in a city that's full of life, full of beauty, a place that we can enjoy living, a place that is the best place I've ever lived in. I mean, I was born in Bedford in England, which isn't. If you've ever been there, and you haven't, most of you, because well, why would you? But compared to living there, Amsterdam is a wonderful, wonderful place to live. There's so much about our city that is good and bright and full of hope and love. And it has influenced the world around us again and again and again. It still does today. And a good question would be, well, how has that, that happened? Because really, this, the history of Amsterdam was that it was just a little fishing village, just a small place, um, you know, hidden with, by a few dikes from the water around us. And then something, something quite dramatic happened in the year 1345, about 700 years ago, that uh, in this sort of small fishing village, there was an old man who was, who was taking communion and this uh, 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 lady comes to, to bring him, gives him the little piece of bread and the juice. And he was an old man, he wasn't very well. And he took the bread, the Eucharist, and he, he threw it back up again. He vomited it back up again. So she threw the vomit with a piece of bread onto the fire. And the fire burnt up all the sick, but didn't burn up this piece of bread. The lady said she saw it sort of floating over the flames. So she rescued it and, and hid it away. And from then on, Amsterdam became this sort of holy place, this place of pilgrimage. The house where it happened became a chapel. And then the chapel burnt down, and somehow the small piece of bread still remained fully intact. And then in the Middle Ages, people would flood to Amsterdam from all over the world to get healing, to get... Uh, to, 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 they would come and uh, this little piece of bread would be kept in a chest in a box. People would come and touch the chest to try and get their healing. The Holy Roman Emperor brought his son to get his healing in the city. And that was one of the reasons Amsterdam became so famous, became from a small fishing village to what it is today. You can go to the, the museum in the center of the city, the Amsterdam Museum, and you can see the little chest. People, if there aren't any security guards around, will still touch it today to try and get their, their healing from this, from this magic box. Uh, within just one century of this happening, there were 19 monasteries in the city 
within a couple of hundred years, a third of all the buildings in the city were monastic religious property. This city was like a kind of religious Christian mecca, sort of the center of Christianity in the Middle Ages. And yet you can walk around our city today and not know anything of that at all. That Amsterdam doesn't feel like that anymore. It doesn't feel like a city full of religious life, whether good or bad, it doesn't feel like that anymore. The story of our city, which is often told again and again, is the story of a, a religious place that's become a, a secular place. Secular meaning to be without God. Sociologists will often talk about the sort of the Middle Ages, the religious times of being a sort of a world of enchantment, that everyone's living out this sort of prolonged fairy tale about this kind of cloud god in the sky. But now we're, we're disenchanted. All that enchantment is gone, that we're awake to reason and the enlightenment and truth and knowledge and that we live a, in, a, in a disenchanted world now. That's the story of our city from this religious enchanted place to the city of re reason and logic, of disenchantment, of secular life. So you might think within that context, how does a church like this, how, does that, how do we fit? You know, is our, any sense of mission or purpose that we might have, isn't that a bit, a bit arrogant, you might say, if you're not a follower of Jesus? Or you might say, well, you're, you know, you're 700 years too late. You, know, you need to needs to get back in your DeLorean and travel back in time if you want to be Christians here. But actually, I think, and the, the story that the Bible tells about humanity is, is not one of enchantment to disenchantment, but one of enchantment to re-enchantment. Is that we all worship. Everyone worships. The question is, what are you gonna, what are you gonna worship? And you might wanna disagree with me on that point, and say, oh, I don't worship anything, I'm, I'm not like that. But why don't you ask yourself, what do you, what's important to you, what's sacred to you? Think of the things in your life that if they were taken away, that you would mourn, that you would grieve, that you would be hurt over. Think of the issues in your life that you'd be prepared to lose your friends over. If they believe this, I could no longer be their friend. Think of the things in the culture around us that we, we, we cancel people for, that we cut them off for. If they believe this thing, they can no longer have a voice. They can no longer have an opinion. Why do we think like that? Because certain things become sacred to us. They become so important, so valuable to us, often defying any reason or logic, there are certain things that we just hold dear that are sacred to us and we don't really know why. And the reason is because is we're, we're worshippers. The writer David Foster Wallace, who wasn't a Christian, he said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism there is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Another writer, Harold Best, said at this very moment, for as long as the world endures, 
Everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God in Jesus Christ. Everyone's worshiping, worshiping something. We're still as enchanted as a city as we've ever been. Perhaps what's really happened, the biggest difference has been this shift from the transcendent to the, the imminent, the, tra- the, the, the worshiping something above and outside of yourself, of seeking freedom and enlightenment from something above and beyond you, to instead looking for it inside of ourselves. That's perhaps the biggest shift that's happened in our city. That now we're no longer taught to worship outside and beyond ourselves, we're taught to worship what's in here. That the most important thing is what we believe about ourselves, about the world around us, about the things we come into contact with. And if there's a problem that we come against, the answer is to educate ourselves more, to to make sure whatever we're worshipping inside ourselves is, is right. All the focus is now upon ourselves. And what that results in is this shift that's taken place around us that where once the most important thing was the community and the people, what's the most important thing increasingly is the individual. And that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a wonderfully good thing. The French philosopher Diderot, when he came to Amsterdam 300 years ago, he said about this city, he said, everyone is their own master here. Civil liberty places all the inhabitants on an equal footing. The humble cannot be oppressed by the mighty, nor the poor by the rich. Which is, which is a good thing. We want to see that happen. But at the same time, we can get so self-involved, so self-obsessed, that we're not really any good to anybody around us. When the most important thing that takes place is what we want and what we desire, we end up being a city of very selfish individual people. And that's again and again what happens in places all over the world. Everybody's worshipping something, but more and more people are finding that something within themselves. So what, what's the church got to do with any of this? How does the church act in this kind of world, in this kind of scenario? Because you might be here, if, you might be feeling a bit suspicious about the church. Many people are these days. We're suspicious. We're trained to be suspicious about institutions, about organizations. You know, is the ch- are you saying that we should abandon reason and go back to a kind of a fairy tale age? That we should abandon any idea of the individual and back to a world of sort of conformity, of slavery? Well, the church has always held a high and even a, a higher view of the dignity, the sanctity of human life, of equality of life. Those are all Christian ethics. But all of us, all of you here this morning, everyone watching, you're called to something bigger than yourself. You are. You're called to worship something bigger and greater than you. And if you're always seeking and trying to find the answer solely within yourself, you'll end up being disappointed. 
you're, you're not enough for yourself. You can't offer yourself enough peace to get through life. You can't offer yourself enough hope to get you through this week. We all need something bigger than ourselves to live for, bigger than ourselves to worship. And the church doesn't say just abandon all your dreams, all your individuality, just join a serving road and everything will be fine. That's, that's not what it is to be part of the church. Those are good things to do. We, we encourage everyone who's part of the church to serve and to get involved in really practical ways. But we want your hearts to be captivated by the glory of God. See, because what happens is when you get caught up with a vision that's bigger than yourself, with a, a love that's greater than yourself, the things that you want, your dreams, your desires, begin to shift, begin to change. And you'll suddenly discover that things that you've always wanted to do, that actually maybe God put them there. And maybe the dreams you have are ordained by God. They're placed there by the Holy Spirit so that he can shine his light out of you to the city, to the world around you. See, the, the church in many ways, the people of God, especially when we gather together like this, it's supposed to be, a, I guess, a bit like a greenhouse that you place us all within here and then we're watered and fed by the word, by the Holy Spirit, and you grow and flourish and then we're placed out into the city to be a blessing around it. See, the church is never supposed to be a, a sort of an insular community where we kind of come and hide away from the city, but the church is supposed to be a ascent community where we see the world around us we acknowledge it for what we is and yet we choose to love it and care for it because Jesus wants his light to shine out into the city around us and in this passage in Matthew he gives us three points which I'll very quickly touch on first of all he tells us to be the salt of the earth to be salt is a, it's a distinctive thing brings flavor. Also often in biblical times they will have understood the idea of being salt to equate to, to being something that's wise, something that transforms. You put salt with a meal and it will change it or give it a distinctive flavor and we're supposed to change and be distinctive in the world around us to be a transformative presence. We're also called to be light we're supposed to live out our worship to shine the glory and the goodness of God to the city around us. And it also tells us here to be a city set on a hill. That the church, together as a people, a whole collection of individuals that God's called to work and to serve together, we get to be a, a new city within our city, an alternative community displaying his light. And what I want to spend some time on this morning is just look at five ways that those things work out. Five ways that we get to be salt and light and a city to the city around us. Five ways we can serve this wonderful, influential city that God's put us into. The first one is, is to engage. 
very simply, is to engage, is to be, to put down roots, to be rooted here. I know many of us in this church uh, are not Dutch, we're not from the Netherlands, we're from all sorts of different places around the world. And that's a wonderful thing. It's one of the delights of being part of a community like this is that you get to meet all sorts of people that are completely different from you. You get to see some of the diversity of the kingdom of God. It's wonderful. But our encouragement to you would always be, while you're here in Amsterdam, is not to live as a, an expat, as a, as a sort of elongated tourist. That's often how expats live. They come to a city and they just think, I'm just going to sort of feed off the city. I'm going to suck all I can from it and then I'll just leave. Don't live like that. Live, live like you're a local. Live as though you want to serve this city. Live as though you're going to be here forever. And it might be that you won't be here forever. Many of us probably won't be. You might just be here for a few years Maybe you're just here for a short-term study or work assignment, here for a few months. Still live like you're going to be here forever. Seek to be a, a blessing to this city. Don't come and seek to kind of impose your, uh, the values of your, of your home nation where you've come from, but seek to learn from this place, to, to serve Amsterdam. Our encouragement would, to all of you would be to, to stay for as long as you can. If you think, I'm gonna be here for six months, maybe stay for a year. If you're gonna be here for two years, stay for four. Because the reality is it's, and I know this, we, my family knows this, many of us know it, that Amsterdam, although it's a wonderful place to live, is an expensive place to live, it's a challenging place to live. And Amsterdam's a very transient city, people are coming and going all the time. And what a transient city really needs is a stable community of people that are going to stick around and build something here and love this city. So in your heart, I'd encourage you to, to kind of make a, almost like a covenant with God and say, I'm going to stay in this city until you tell me to go somewhere else. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to love here. And put down roots here. That's what our city needs. In many other parts of the world, the great missionary challenge is to go. In cities like this, the great missionary challenge is to stay. To stay. So I encourage you to ponder upon that, think about that. Because as well as being rooted here and getting to love and serve this city, by doing that, we get to affect something globally as well. God's brought all the nations into this city. 180 different nations in our city, and he's done that for a reason. He says he wants his word, his gospel, to go to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways that he does that is by bringing all sorts of people from all sorts of different places, places where they perhaps might never have had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Brings them into a place like this, where his fame can go out. So engage in this city, love this city, put down roots here. The second point is to, to practice your faith. It, here it tells us to live as salt and light, but what Jesus has been saying earlier in Matthew 5, if you read the rest of the chapter, he's been telling his people, he's been talking about what's called the Beatitudes. 
where he says, I'll read a few of them to you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. See, what he's saying when he's telling them to be salt and light is he's saying, be those things. Be pure in heart. Be merciful. Be peacemakers. And we get to live that out in our city. Elsewhere in, in the Bible, in Ephesians, it says that we're to walk as children of the light, that we're supposed to practice our faith in a way that is salt and light to the city around us, that brings a transformative presence to the city around us. Because the reality is when you come to a place like this, there are two choices of how to live. Will the city shape you or you shape the city? Now that can sound very grandiose as though we're gonna be sort of history makers and transform the whole city by ourselves. I'm not quite saying it quite like that. But what will happen is if you're not careful is the city will, will shape you, it will change you. And, and maybe in good ways. I like Indonesian food way more than I used to because I've lived in this city. Seriously, you get some of the best Indonesian food in the world here. There are lots about living in this city that have changed me. You know, I'm, I'm a much more dangerous cycler since I've lived here, honestly. <laughs> this city's changed me in lots of different ways. And that's good, I don't, there's lots of ways I don't regret it at all. But if you're not careful, there are other ways that the city will seek to shape you that won't bless you, that don't help you to worship Jesus. And there are lots of ways that the Bible calls us to live that can really shape this city. You know, if, when there's so much conflict and dispute and anger around us, what this city really needs is a whole army of people who just say, I'm gonna be a peacemaker. You know, that's just, I'm just committing my heart that I'll do that you know, in my workplace. I'm just gonna be someone that brings peace. I'm just gonna be in my school, in my university, where people are disputing and arguing. I'm just gonna help bring peace. In a city where there's just some really broken people, some broken things happening, and people wanna judge, and people wanna point fingers, we get to bring mercy, justice, righteousness. You practice those things in the city, the whole community of people, not just us, not just our church, but many other churches in the city, we live these things out and it shapes, it brings, it brings a flavor to the city that will shape it, will change it. The next thing we get to do is to create. You see, Christians are, one of the reputations that Christians have is for being destructive in how we engage with culture around us, to, to critique things, to, to, to point out the bad things in the world around us. And sometimes there are moments when that's appropriate, but actually the reality is that to be a light to the city means that light brings growth. You know, the sunlight causes flowers to blossom and to grow. And the way we can engage with the culture around us is to create, 
is to bring love and light to the world around us. Again, if you think about it, in your, you can change, you can create a new culture in your workplace. You can. Just one person. Maybe think about the sort of, the 10 people that you would, well, if you're in your office anyway, the 10 people that you would most normally sit next to or the, the five people that every Monday morning you have a Zoom call with. The way you act can change the culture of that meeting of that group of people. Let me give you a really, a really silly example. Joe and I noticed when we moved to our, our new neighborhood in the city that people aren't very um, polite to each other. And I'm English, we love politeness, and we're crazy about it. So like on the street, you know, you just wanna say hello to your neighbors. Or if we're going out for a run, we wanna say hello or good morning to the people that are running past us or walking past us. And that doesn't happen so much here. And I'm not saying it's because the Dutch are grumpy, because I think it's, it's, it's what happens when you live in a big city. People just have less time for each other. It's not a Dutch thing, it's a city thing. But we thought, well, how about we try and change that? What if we're the people in our community that always say hello and say good morning to people? When we're out running, when we're going to the shops, we just try and engage with people. And Joe's much better at it than, than I am because, well, I'm a bit more grumpy than she is. But little by little, perhaps then we could shape, we could change something. It's a really small little example. But often that, that's, that's the sort of way that we change the city, is lots of mundane, small, regular acts day by day. Just loving and serving people day by day. Just a whole army of people sent to do that. We can love, we can shape, change our city. We can create new things. We get to tell our story as well. You see, much of the sort of, much of the way people think in our city is they've been shaped by stories, by narratives, by ways of thinking, stories that they've been told that shape what they think or believe. And all around us, people are, particularly in the last few years, people are searching for stories that will help them make sense of the world, help them make sense of their purpose, of their meaning within it all. And we have that story. We have good news. We have a, a better story to tell about life, the universe, everything. So as a church, we're not going to abandon our message, even if sometimes it's not popular, <laughs> if it's not trendy. We don't want to abandon what God's called us to say and believe, because we genuinely believe it's good news that God's given us each a story to tell. You don't have to be a preacher to do that. Very simply, we all get to tell the story of what God's done in your life. If you're a Christian here today, You've got a story of what God's done. You've got a story of his grace and his favor upon you. Finally, number five is, and this is the most important one, perhaps the most important way we go about our mission in this city is we get to enjoy God. See, Jesus is, he's the true light 
of the world as we prayed earlier. And any dreams we might have as a church or you might have as an individual of what God might do in our city, any dreams of revival or renewal or anything like that, all of that begins in, in us. Begins by Jesus changing us. I was reading this quote a few days ago from a theologian called Richard Mao. And he said this, we must allow the light of God's glory to flood our souls, to radiate its warmth there, to bring illumination and healing to the darkest places in our own lives. It's only by passively receiving the light of Jesus that we can be able reflectors of it. If you want to be a light to the world around you, or even to your family, to your friends, it starts by receiving his light, receiving his healing, receiving his love for you, his forgiveness of you. And not just as a one-off experience, but day by day, week by week, just enjoying the mercy, the grace of God over your life again and again. As a community, when we gather together every week, we want to celebrate who Jesus is, the wonderful good news of what he's done for us. We want to enjoy his presence together, his grace over us. And as we do that again and again, as we enjoy him, that transforms us to be a light to the world around us. I'm going to pray for us and then Daniel and the band are going to lead us in some songs of worship. Why don't we all just stand together? Jesus, we want to... We just want to declare that uh, each of us, no matter whether we've realized it or not, but you've sent us to the city, every single one of us. You've sent us here for a, a purpose, for a reason with a mission in mind is that you want this city to see your love. You want your glory to shine in this city. You want your light to flood every corner, every dark crevice of this city. You want your light to shine. And you've sent your people, the church, to live out that message. And I just want to pray for us today that you would catch our hearts up with this mission. That we wouldn't just live as sort of passengers, just consumers of this city, but we'd seek to, to engage, to practice our faith here, to love this city, because we believe that there, there's more to come for this place. It's not just a story of a city that once loved you and then has gone off the path and lost its way, that there are many people in this city, there are many people in this city that you've called to know you. And we want to believe for a move of God that would sweep across our city and flood churches with people again. That many people would cry out in praise and worship to you. That people really would find their true liberty and freedom in you, Jesus Christ. That all the false idols and things that people worship in this city that lead them astray, that they'd be able to put them aside and find true freedom and liberty in you, Jesus Christ. That's the mission we want to commit ourselves to. 
is seeing your name made famous in this city, to see people's lives set free by your wonderful good news. And we thank you, Jesus, that all starts within us, within us coming to you again and again and enjoying you, worshipping you together. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to do that right now. In Jesus' name.